Matt, you're in a good mood. A very good mood. Why is that? What? Why are you in such a good mood? I'm not in a good mood. I'm in tons of pain. Oh, okay. What's the singing for? I was singing um, some theme song. You don't remember which theme song? I don't. Was it the Gilligan's Island theme? I'm not that familiar with Gilligan's Island. I just know the memes. No. If it weren't for the actions of the fearless crew, the minnow would be lost. The minnow would be lost. Yeah, I think that's Gilligan's Island. But was I doing that, or am I just saying that? Yes. Email me if you know what theme song I am singing. We are not here to talk about Gilligan's Island today. Do you know what we're here to talk about today, Matt? Um, the fact that life is endless pain. I mean, that's not entirely You can't wrong. escape it, Diego. Also true. One day is your last healthy day, and then it's never healthy anymore. That's a... You know, that oddly feels appropriate to open up the episode on, given that Hannibal Season 3 is is the last season of Hannibal at the time of this recording. Yes. And that's how I felt when the show ended. But that's how you feel every day, so I don't know. I kind of feel like maybe that's... No, nah, you know what? Not every day, but I get, like, once a month, I get these, like, days where I want to die. And it's, like, usually about a three- to four-day thing. This one's a little longer, because it's a very specific problem that will require surgery. So to the people out there in life... um I I had notes for this season, and uh, they're downstairs, and I'm in too much pain to walk downstairs. So I didn't go get them, and I don't remember anything that happened this season. But don't worry. I will guide us through the episode. This is going to go as well as the Bush administration trying to get us out of Iraq. You know, at some point I stopped bringing up 9-11 every episode. Yeah, what happened with that? I don't know, because I think because the show was really good. Oh, that makes sense. And there wasn't a real reason to bring up 9-11. Season two ends with a shot of a plane. Hitting the towers? <laughs> no, just going to Europe. But see, it's that's bullshit because jet fuel can't melt steel beams. So season three of Hannibal opens up. <laughs> you read the documents? <laughs> season three of Hannibal opens up with Hannibal Lecter living it up in Europe. Do you remember this? Oh, yeah, you know, so like I do remember the first because they actually did a really interesting thing where the first episode is entirely Hannibal and the second episode is entirely Will Graham. And they really space out giving us exact, explaining to us exactly the fate of every character at the end of season two. Because that's a pretty, it, season two is a pretty big cliffhanger. And uh, 
we don't really know who lived and who died in the confrontation. And pretty much everyone, except for Hannibal and Will, there was a chance for them to be dead. Uh, and we don't know. I mean, it takes us about three episodes before we figure out where everyone is at. Uh, I think it's kind of like a, a common thing in television where uh, they'll have these huge cliffhangers and they'll easily resolve them within like the opening minutes of the next season, right? And Hannibal doesn't do that. But I always like, think of uh, the best of both worlds in Star Trek. Oh, the that Which, huge cliffhanger? Yeah, and then it's just like, oh, hey. <laughs> we got around it. Yeah, oh, but I mean, um, and Hannibal does, I mean... It does kind of kill off the easiest choice for the for the story. It's honestly it, still kind of shocking. It, it's still rough. That's the thing. Hannibal's such a good show and has built up all these characters so well by this point that when you find out Abigail Hobbs is finally truly dead this time, it's still a bummer. And it's mm-hmm. still very tragic. Uh, and the way the, the season plays out, the first half of the season is like completely just without like any structure in a good way. Like it's not confined by any of like the procedural stuff of the first two seasons. It's almost like some weird avant-garde fucking pretentious art house movie. I mean, we talked about it before. That's how Brian Fuller described the show and he was like pitching it to people. But this first half of the season really goes for it with all the Europe stuff and like episodes like play out. And they'll have, like, themes, but the plot is just kind of, like, loosely hanging on everything. While these characters try to, like, reassemble their lives. Or, like, Hannibal's just trying to find some semblance of, like, excitement again. Because when he starts the season, he's kind of bored. Which I think is, like, kind of funny in a weird way. We see him, we see him ease into his new life. But then once he's into it, he's like, hey, what now? Um... Because he, he does, he's got Will Graham in his head. It's it's a funny reversal of, of how um, their relationship played out in the first two seasons. Because Hannibal is all up in his head. And without even trying, yeah, you're right, Will Graham is in there. And it's not like Will Graham weaseled his way in there. It's just Hannibal. That's the only person he's felt like a a real connection with. You know, he's a real kindred spirit. Well, I think it would take a while to get over that breakup. That's season two is a pretty brutal breakup at the end. Yeah, I, I, that might be the the most difficult breakup to watch on on television, like ever. So I can, I can understand if it took Doctor Hannibal Lecter a little while to get over it. Uh, do you know who the big influence was for this season? Because every season kind of had like uh, Fuller talks about like David Lynch and like uh, uh, Lars von Trier and stuff like that. Who was it? Tony Scott. I can see that. Yeah. It's a better Scott. I kind of agree. Infinitely Uh, better Scott. uh, Rest in peace, late, great Tony Scott. Rest in peace, Tony Scott. Uh, Everyone go watch Domino, because it's fucking great and insane. Everyone go watch Gilbert Gottfried's scene from Beverly Hills Cop 2. (laughs) And then go watch Domino. Actually, yeah, that's... Just watch all of Beverly. Watch everything by Tony Scott. There you go. No, You're good. Beverly Hills Cop Two is not good. But <sighs> it is good. I, I actually, I'm, I'm a weird. I've never enjoyed any of the Beverly Hills Cop stuff. 
I don't know what it is. It just never worked for me. Uh, that's fair. It's just, I don't get it. Like, I don't get why that was, like, such a big deal. Why was Beverly Hills Cop a big deal? I, I, I never thought it was, like, the greatest. Like, it's no lethal weapon, but, you know, it's just a fun kind of hangout comedy but, movie. But, like, Eddie Murphy is so good in 48 Hours. Like, 48 Hours is so much better than Beverly Hills Cop. I actually agree with that, but I, I still like Beverly Hills Cop. I don't, but I just don't like. I it, to me, it's like it's kind of just generic cop movie with a somewhat good comedic performance by Eddie Murphy, who is very much not. It's not one of his best comedic performances. No, but I think he adds something. Why are we talking about this? It's <laughs> important to me. <laughs> uh, anyways, Tony Scott's influence on this season. I just watched Trading Places again. That movie makes me so happy. Eddie Murphy is so good in that movie. We can make it, baby. Me and you. <laughs> All right, so because you talked about Lars von Trier, I was going to say, I've seen, like, you know, Lars von Trier stuff. I've seen, like... All like Italian neorealism, like the Bicycle Thieves, which has one of the most devastating endings of all time. Nothing in cinema has ever been more devastating in presenting just a destroyed human being than Dan Aykroyd eating a Christmas ham through his Santa beard in trading places. <laughs> that is just like the lowest of lows. He's like eating the beard. And then he tries to kill himself and he fails. This isn't a comedy, by the way. <laughs> oh man, Trading Places is so good. Uh, at one point, Will Graham visualizes a corpse strung up in the middle of a church. Why are we talking about this when the entire United States government is falling apart? Because we started it, so we gotta finish it. This is entirely pointless now. So I'm gonna keep going. I'm very unhappy, Diego. I'm I'm generally actually okay. Diego. Yeah. Are you my friend? I am your friend. You trust me? I trust you. You trust me? I trust you. Fucking kill me, man. No. I, I, I can't do that. <laughs> fucking drive to my house, fucking run me over. <laughs> I actually have to take my car in next week. Yeah. It's the perfect cover. No. <laughs> There's a Colombo episode where a guy like I was like, Oh, I gotta go get my car repaired. And then he snuck into the repair shop, stole his car back, used it, went, committed a murder, and was like, I couldn't have done it. I didn't have a car that weekend. And Columbo was like, hey, the miles went up on the car while it was in the shop. And I was like, oh, I didn't think about that obvious thing. You really are the greatest detective. <laughs> See, Columbo would have got Hannibal in like two minutes. See, someone should make that like a project. You know, they're trying to like remake The Last Jedi or whatever. I don't even know if that's a parody, whatever the fuck. But put, Colum put Columbo in season three of Hannibal. Replace mm -hmm. Inspector Pazzi with his character, but don't kill him off. Yeah. You know what I honestly thought about doing at one point? As like a writing exercise. Get like a, you know, like a, like one of those bingo things that like has the balls come out with the different numbers on it. And each number represents a different franchise. And I roll it every week, and whatever franchise is, I have to somehow work Columbo into it. 
I think you should do that. Just like it's like, and it's like I have to write ten pages of like Columbo and like fucking, I don't know, Twin Peaks. He would have found out who killed Laura Palmer even sooner. Oh yeah, definitely. He would have known all the shit that's going on. But Columbus definitely aligned with the White Lodge, so. So it's Hannibal season three. They throw the guy out the window. Yeah. Um, with, uh, what's the detective's name? In- Inspector Posse, I think. Posse, yeah. Or is it Patsy? I think it's Posse. I'm thinking of Patsy because of JFK. I'm a patsy. So yeah, he gets eviscerated and tossed out a window, much like in the Hannibal movie. And is it weird that I think it's kind of more brutal here than oh, in the movie? Oh, it's definitely much more brutal here. The whole this this show does everything that the Hannibal movie did, and it is more brutal than that movie. The only thing it doesn't do is directly address child rape, which I mean. Yeah, probably a good move. I actually read a really good interview with uh, Brian Fuller um, about his decision to have no rape on the show. Um, and he made tons of excellent points that I cannot, for the life of me, remember. So go look it up. I, I don't remember uh, specific phrasing, but I'll paraphrase because I've, I've read some of that stuff and, and uh, listened to interviews about him with talking about that. And his whole point is basically just that there's so much um, exploitative violence against women in like all these dramas and, and mm-hmm. art and television, and they're not willing to like uh, address it with like the appropriate like nature and like uh, maturity, I guess. And you know, Hannibal's heightened reality already, and he doesn't want to bring down the rest of it with something so serious, you know? Because like that's just like grotesque. Like mm. this is this is clearly like fiction. We don't need to go beyond uh the realm of like uh murder fantasy i guess yeah like he says it much better than i do he's got he's clearly a brilliant showrunner i remember he made a point about how he explores like dominance and hannibal's evil and like controlling people but not using rape in that which is like something very uh lazy screenwriters would go for um and not to knock, I actually not don't want to call these guys out as lazy, but I think the Game of Thrones writers maybe could learn a little bit from this interview. Um, but whatever. Uh, also, uh, comic writer Mark Millar, who is like the Michael the Michael like, Bay of comics, but worse. I don't know, man. Mark Millar is an interesting fella. Interesting is not the word I'd use, but all right. Uh, I, I get what you're saying. Some, I've read some good like critiques of his work that like kind of try to look at what he's trying to say. Um, I don't think that excuses some of the ways he goes about trying to do it, but and I'm like, I still kind of go like, oh, all right. Yeah, there's there's something to his work that I, I could see people latching onto, but like. Uh, basically, for those who who don't know Mark Millar, he's a comic writer who who created Kick-Ass, Kingsman, uh, Ultimate Spider-Man. No, 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 that's my no. bad. No, 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 no. Excuse me. Uh, Civil War. Civil War. He, he, he pissed Marvel Civil War and he wrote it. Um, <laughs> he made 
made the ultimates. Thank you. Yes. And uh, a lot of his work deals with very... Uh... George W. Bush is in the first Ultimates comic. Holy shit. That's a, that's a comic that very explicitly puts uh, the Ultimates, which is the ultimate universe of the Avengers. This is very relevant. Um, very much says that they're like, you know, an expression of American, modern American imperialism. Um, which is what the current... MCU Avengers are, but those movies are fun and goofy, so those problems don't really get addressed. Captain America's a fascist. Anyways, yeah. uh, well, but now. now he, he didn't start that way, but anyways. It was, uh, it was so th- fucked up in th- fucking... Ah, uh, whatever. Yeah. Uh, the, the point I'm making, Mark Millar, his comics have a lot of violence in them and like language and like things that 13-year-old boys think is mature, but it's actually very infantile. And then he often, almost always, tosses in rape subplots. And uh, Mark Millar is quoted as saying that, you know, rape is just like beheading someone, you know? Like, it's an act of violence. It's no more serious than murder or whatever. And that's, like, really fucked up. And he's not aware of what he's doing. I think we've had this exact conversation on the show before. Probably, but I think it's worth addressing again. Mostly just because I started bringing it up again. If not, You know what is also worth... Addressing for the first time. <laughs> um, after uh, the detective gets thrown out, Inspector, whatever the fuck, after he gets thrown out the window, and uh, we see we see who's there. Oh shit, it's Jack Crawford. <laughs> we are all over the place. This is already a disaster. It is, but we're gonna roll with it. Because honestly, Jack Crawford's there. And he comes up and he fights Hannibal in an action scene that is better than anything in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, uh, maybe actually, better. yeah. That that first Avengers finale is still kind of the shit. Yeah, but that's just punching like faceless goons. Like you, yeah, of course that's interesting. Like, anyways, um, fucker. No, it, we're, we're all, all over the place, and as much as I love the season, this isn't a negative I hold against it or anything, it's just the first half does feel very uh, almost scattershot. Uh, anyways, the first half of the season is a little messy, but I think it's okay because it's swinging for the fences and then some. I hope Brian Fuller never listens to this podcast. I'm so not there. Like, I'm trying to, like, I keep, like, starting to make points in my head that I want to make, and then I just get distracted by something else. And now I'm, like, rocking back and forth in my chair, which I'm sure the mic is picking up. And I'm like, I should stop. I should stop doing that. And then I just don't. Well, here, let's start picking up with the characters, then. I'm going to I'm gonna tighten this up right now. We're going to yeah, tighten run up. towards home All right. Okay. Oh, wait, no, All right. Uh... <laughs> uh so Will Graham wakes up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Hannibal might wanna, or does wanna. Like it's it's clear that this has become a romance by this point. It's honestly as intense as uh, Professor Rad Radigan and Basil of Baker Street from the Great Mouse Detective. You fucking fool! I told you I haven't seen that movie in oh years. Oh my god! It was on Hulu, like. A month ago. 
everyone right now should go watch instead of listening to this shitty podcast. They should go listen to they go watch the documentary uh, "Too Funny to Fail" about the Dana Carvey show. It's not even the Great Mouse Detective. No, no, I didn't go for that. <laughs> Here's the thing: I have respect for our audience, and I just assume they've already seen the Great Mouse Detective. Because that's what fucking Americans do, Diego. All right, let, then let's just talk about how How's this season improves the season on, on the Hannibal. How's Titan? It's awful. Are you fixing it? I'm, I'm fixing it right You're now. fixing it, my friend? Let's talk Are about how it? the first season of Hannibal, fixed? or the first half of this season, Is it working uh, yet? tightens up the, the Hannibal book and movie. Because hey, both of them lack hey. any sort of agency for their central character. Hey, Diego, did you notice that the end of season two and the beginning of season three wrapped up the Hannibal book storyline. Actually, yeah, because that's where Clarice goes off on a plane with Hannibal, right? But they just swapped out Bedelia. Yeah, Bedelia. Where's my kick, Bedelia? You didn't watch Creepshow, did you? No, I didn't. Fuck. <laughs> oh, you found time I to will watch eventually. Fallen Kingdom twice. But no creep show. <laughs> really Christ, man. I'll watch it later. Yeah, like, oh, Fallen Kingdom is a brilliant work. Yeah, oh, I don't have time for creep well, show. I never said brilliant. Fucking Romero and Stephen King teaming up. Fucking bringing EC Comics goodness. Waste of my fucking time. Uh, how do you feel about uh, the treatment of Mason Verger in this series as opposed to the Hannibal movie? Um, It's a different actor. Oh yeah, even okay. Well, good. <laughs> like yeah, <laughs> I mean, I was trying to make a point that it's not Michael Pitt. Is that who the guy yeah, was it, from season? I was season trying to make that point, but you were asking me about the movie, so I'm like, fuck yeah, it wouldn't be the same actor. He looks. Uh, you ever seen C Lab Twenty Twenty One? Just the memes. He looks like the Bizarro episode. <laughs> Where the one Bizarro guy had a beak. He also looks like Mitch McConnell a oh, little. Shit. <laughs> I like that uh, when Alana Bloom is reintroduced, she has like a cane. She looks like a fucking Bond villain. Oh, I like that Alana Bloom is now like fucking take no shit. Like... Like, that experience fucking rocked her in a way that now she's like, fuck it. She looks like a Bond villain when she meets up with uh, Mason Verger. Like, the way they're, like, framed up against the window. Yeah. And, like, she's got the cane. He's all fucked up. And, that, oh, my God, that was my shit right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she looks like one of the good Bond villains. I mean, not, not even that. Like, one of the ones that just has their shit together. Not, like, Goldfinger, who's very <laughs> incompetent. Well, speaking of Mason Verger, who I don't really want to talk about, we do get a return of one of our favorite characters. Cordell? Cordell! Cordell! So Cordell's back. Uh, played by isn't that the dude who was the killer in uh, True Detective? Yeah, he was the he was the the murderer in the first season. Yeah, he's and he's completely different than that guy was, and still fucking creepy as shit. 
Yeah, he's got a that, that's I don't know the name of that actor, but he's really good. Like he was just on Barry this year, mm-hmm. and he's he's also kind of a, a, a creepy villain in that too. But like again, a totally different way. Like mm-hmm. he's got a normal like semblance of life and humanity in Barry, but still like would scare the shit out of you if you're in a room with him. I'm looking forward to seeing him and more stuff. Yeah, he, he's, he's he's a talent. He feels like a dude, like, when you make a crime movie, like, he's the guy you go to to, like, buy a gun illegally or something. <laughs> um, which is, like, I think great. Uh, and he's just, he's got, he's kind of like a sophisticated uh, nurse for Mason Verger. But he's also a sadist in some ways. Uh, it's weird that Mason Verger manages to surround himself with very loyal security guards. Yeah. But whatever. The Manson family was the thing. Cordell! Cordell! Hi, Mason. That's true. Mason Verger gets brutally murdered in this. Oh, yeah. Well, they and they uh, they mentioned that they stimulated his prostate in order to force him to ejaculate. Yeah, which, which happens is... in the book. Yeah, surprised uh, they had it in the show. I'm so glad because honestly, as much as I love him getting thrown to pigs, I'm glad <laughs> that it went crazy. Yeah, of course Hannibal would fucking go there. Oh, and there's a kaleidoscope sex scene, which is just oh, yeah. like. And it blew my mind. That was interesting. I didn't because you don't know what you're watching at first until like a little while in, and then you're like, "Oh, okay." Like, I mean, it just cuts to that, and I was like, "Whoa, it, what's what's happening?" Um, I, I just want to mention. I think I didn't mention it in the previous episode, but in this is something because I remember it being a problem with some people, and I kind of agree. Which is that uh, in the book Hannibal, Mason Verger's sister, who is a lesbian, but she's I think she's more a butch lesbian in the book. And, like, uh, lifts weights and is very athletic. And here she's kind of just, you know, normal person. Um, not that being butch is not normal. That doesn't sound right. Um, but, you know, you don't get enough butch lesbian representation in a way that isn't, like, comedic, you know? Yeah. Um, so. Oh, okay. I was a little unaware of that. So then. Put that in your in your negative points file brian fuller guy who's way more talented than i'll ever be <laughs> well no it's, it's worth noting yeah i well, i feel like the thing i do like about brian fuller is it feels like he's receptive to those type of criticisms whereas certain other creators are very uh they're antagonistic with criticism criticisms thrown their way i don't know if that sentence made any sense but no no he, you got it uh, so the second half of this season is is a complete remix of Red Dragon and Manhunter in terms of pacing, uh, the characters, uh, specifically the Freddie Lounge character, and uh, because she's a woman in here, and Brian Fuller is again very aware of uh, exploitative violence towards women. And also, he just the one time he killed a woman that was a main character, he got a lot of shit for it. Yeah. That that is also true, uh, and so he. Oh yeah, we bring back Doctor Chilton, who is somehow still alive. Chilton's back, even though he got shot in the fucking face. <laughs> and uh, it makes me so happy. It's it's so fucking great. He's like their Kenny, but yeah. like 
way smarter in terms of writing. Anyways, um, I, I hope that he's just like by if they do Silence of the Lambs by the end of that, he's like just in an iron lung forever. I mean, he'd he's, have to be like he's kind of in one in this. Yeah, because if they did more uh, seasons, which I, I sincerely hope they do, I know discussion <laughs> started again with with Brian Fuller and the De Laurentiis group. Um, <laughs> but like he he gets the Freddie Lowndes treatment from Red Dragon, a Manhunter here, uh, set on fire, and all except he survives that too, and his skin's burned off. He has no lips. He's just a husk. And did, did I say Jim Carrey should play Buffalo Bill? I believe he did. Because I, 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 that sounds like something I would say. I don't even know if I really believe it, but it's definitely something I would say. Okay. Uh, I don't know if I would agree with that. So <laughs> that's all I got on that. Just imagine him doing the whole, like, his Riddler thing, except it's Buffalo Phil. Oh, God. God damn. He rocks that bowler hat in Batman Forever so well, and then they immediately get rid of the bowler hat outfit. I'm so pissed about that. That angered me as a child. It's like it wasn't cartoony enough for them. Yeah. So they just went, like, full throttle with it. It's so weird. Like, they just don't... They didn't know where to stop. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck it. You know, mind control in films gives me, like, super anxiety. Why is that? I don't know. Like, there's something about that that really freaks me out. Well, how do you deal with Hannibal then? Because, I mean, there's basically mind control at times in this show. Because this is like, I don't know what it is. Because, honestly, you don't know where it stop, starts and where it uh, ends. Like, which gives it some leeway for me. But when it's straight up, like, someone gets goggles put on them and then they're evil. Which happened in Incredibles 2. I was about to say. So I was having a fucking anxiety attack <laughs> during Incredibles. Especially because it happened to that one new superhero who I really liked. <laughs> and she was sent after the children. And then it happened to both the parents and Frozone. I was like, no. <laughs> Spoilers for Incredibles 2. No. <laughs> um, that was a really good movie. It was. Flawed, but good. Really good. But, but it's as flawed as the original Incredibles. I don't I don't know about that. I It's as flawed as the original Incredibles. I mean, yeah. It's as flawed. We were just we were just younger when Incredibles came out. What if Will Graham decided the way to beat Hannibal Lecter was to turn everyone into cannibals? <laughs> and once everyone's a cannibal, no one will be. <laughs> So the back half of season three of Hannibal, uh, we're reintroduced in a weird, silent film almost sequence. Oh, it's so good. Uh, to Francis Dollarhide, or this iteration of Francis Dollarhide. And when it's I saw that, I was immediately struck with the realization that I would probably not watch a better horror film than that sequence mm-hmm. that entire year. And that ended up being true. 2015 was a good year for movies. This scene was better. <laughs> Yeah, I think like, that one. That is, music is so good in that scene too. It's like this weird, like plucking of guitar strings and like violin chums, and it's although, it's very Hannibal music. But although deep down, my heart longs for the Prime Movers. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I love Hannibal, but I think Manhunter's still. Mm. So, so I'll be honest though, this this now. they did a pretty great job 
um, with it. I mean, we're comparing. We're also comparing it to fucking the worthless Red Dragon movie. No, they did great. They they did absolutely phenomenal work here. Um, I, I think... you know what I really and you know what I really enjoyed. And here's another sign of my idiocy. Because they introduce uh, the Red Dragon Killer, and when he's in his Red Dragon persona, he does, like, a really, like, over-the-top voice. And I initially was like, oh, that's kind of cheap. And then I kind of realized, no, it's like, he, like, it's entirely in his character to be trying to give a performance like that in attempting his transformation. And it's, like, pathetic, but that somehow makes it even creepier. Um, which is similar to what uh, what's his name did? I can't I can't believe it. Can't. Tom Noonan did in Manhunter, where he's kind of you know struggling to be his tough guy self when confronting Freddie Lowndes. Yeah, like, like he has that struggling with public speaking thing. This almost feels like Francis Dollar kind of feels like a kid who's trying to imitate Heath Ledger's Joker. Like, oh. <laughs> real, oh, that's good. Real thinking they come across as tough. <laughs> but they just look goofy, and that just. But it, it, knowing the context, it makes Dollar Hyde even creepier. You know. Yeah. Oh my, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah, I love it. Uh, one of the big uh, questions I had going in, because at least to this arc, because uh, the Hannibal murderers are so like bizarre and outlandish that it's like you know, there's a to- after you get to a totem pole of bodies in the first season, everything else kind of feels like more grounded. Yeah. So I was like, so why would why would the Red Dragon Killer be like the defining like one of the defining uh villains for the series then by this point? You know? That was a big question for me too. Like because I knew they were going into it. Which must have been a change of plans because initially Fuller said he was gonna save it for season four. So I wonder what changed, but that's all right. Yeah, it was uh I think he wanted to just stretch it out more, and then he realized like maybe there wasn't enough story, or maybe he just wanted to to get to that point, you know? Yeah. So I don't know, but it worked out. So it was it was weird, but good. It works out perfectly. Yeah. Uh. Well, I guess the the big thing for this this uh, serial killer then on Hannibal is that his murders aren't as flashy, but they're some of the most scary. Like yeah. they, they still instill fear in a way that the other ones don't. It's just like, wow, look at that great production design. It's gross, but man, that's impressive. Here, it's still like fucked up. You know how literally nothing sca- was scary in the Red Dragon movie? It's the opposite of that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's also like one of those things where, because, you know, I really talked up how I really like how we don't see the first murder in Manhunter. We just see that creepy ass scene where it's the point of view of the killer, and we just see uh, Mrs. Leeds waking up. Like, that's so scary to me. And then we just see the aftermath of the crime scene. But this time we see it, and Will Graham has to act it out. And it somehow, like, becomes one of the most intense sequences ever. Um, oh, my God. And we do, we, we get a better look at the glass in the eyes, which I don't think we got a look at in the previous two entries. Yeah, not as much. Like, it was there, but it wasn't, like, uh, a big thing. It was just part of his... Uh, they mentioned... Uh, the I don't think they show it in Manhunter, really. Um, there's that there's that sequence where Will Graham imagines it, and he sees it in his wife's eyes, which is creepy. Uh, no, he sees it with uh, Mrs. Leeds. 
when he's re uh, envisioning the crime scene for the last time before he goes on to the final like act of the movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, but it's a it's more shining than like a reflection. Oh, okay. I thought it was his own wife for some reason. No, I, I don't. I don't think that's. I'm that's misremembering true. the movie. Yeah, I was like, wait a second. I don't. I don't remember this. Well, I've seen man. Because the fear is that he's going to bring it home with him. So I think I was just, you know, extrapolating on that. Well, that's an interesting read. I just don't yeah. don't think it's it's there. But... I don't know. I, I'm I'm all over the place right now. Yeah, yeah I relate. Mrs. Leeds, yeah. do you see? Oh, but anyway, so this is it's not that. Um... You know, there's a lot to like mine from this story, but I, you know, six episodes for a back arc in already a truncated season. It's it could fall apart so easily in the hands of like anybody else. But Brian Fuller is so talented that he somehow makes it not end up just like spinning its wheels, so they can play out beats from other versions of the same story. Like every little bit is is uh feels more like expanded upon in all the right ways. Uh, not fluffy. Cause this isn't like a fluffy show at all. You know what but... he taps into that? I really like, it's one of those things where, cause I've seen Manhunter so much to hear the lines again, but in a different context, like can, can be weird, you know? Yeah. Um, cause he, cause it's the same dialogue lifted cause it's lifted from the book. It's lifted from the movie. Um, and, but Brian Fuller, I don't know what it is. I maybe just let the actors go with it because they they deliver it in complete like their own way, which adds a different kind of weight to it because we have this entire different history between Hannibal and Will in this. Uh, and it it reads almost more like how different actors doing the same Shakespeare lines can come across like completely differently, you know? Yeah. Whereas Red Dragon, the movie, just felt like a really poor imitation. With uh, an attempt at coding Silence of the Lambs, like, aesthetics. Yeah, yeah no, this is totally its, its own thing, even with the familiar material. And uh, that my, my favorite line in the series, uh, when Hannibal starts talking about how if Will's ever seen Blood in the Moonlight, because it, it looks very black, and then you see that image of Francis, if, the image of Francis Dollarhide walking out into the the moonlight covered in in black liquid which is very obviously blood but they need to make it literally black so they can show it on national television yes <laughs> oh and there's that fucking fantastic transition of the moon a shot of the moon then a drop of blood falls onto it and then it transitions into snow and like as soon as i saw that i was like holy fuck they're gonna nail this whole thing like i just knew i felt comfortable Again. Have you ever seen Have you ever seen blood when it's censored, Diego? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how Peter Jackson got away with like five thousand decapitations in Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Yeah. And uh, I think it was uh, from dusk till dawn. Like all the vampires in that, when they die, it's like green. Yeah, it's got an X rating. <laughs> and that's why that one fight in Kill Bill is in black and white. God, the MPAA is fucking stupid. MPAA is run by a bunch of fucking morons. Fascists. Fascists everywhere. All right, so there's a recurring image, obviously, of Hannibal and Will's relationship with uh, the stag. In the back of everyone's mind, I think we all kind of felt 
the certain direction they were going to go with like a visual representation. They're like, oh, everyone just kind of knew like, oh, so they're going to make him like a red dragon at some point just because to drive that home. And because this show is fucking bizarre and weird in all the best ways. And so in the final episode, like we're just jumping around, fuck it. But like in the final episode, when he finally turns into like this giant red dragon, like bleeding out all over the floor, I was like, oh, fuck yeah. You never go full red dragon. <laughs> I, they they never fight as a stag and the red dragon though, huh? It's just no, I don't think so. Yeah, uh, I I feel like I would remember that. Um, well, even the even uh, what's her name, the blind woman? Um, oh, give me shit. A damn it! Oh shit, I forgot. Um, the one on drugs. I know. <laughs> oh. Well, she appears as the woman clothed in sun. Yes, uh, which was great. And her name... It, Routina Wesley is the actress's name, and she's she's really great. She was on True Blood for a couple yeah, years. I didn't watch True Blood. Uh, the Alan Ball years were fun. I don't That's like vampire like. bullshit. I love vampires. I only like evil vampires. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, vampires aren't your friend. I don't think it's a healthy relationship if they have to suck your blood. <laughs> um, I think there's an inherent problem there. Sorry uh, to be showing my prejudice. Reba McLean is the character's yeah. name. Yeah, she, I love she Reba. She ain't a vampire. No, no, she's not. Uh, but Rutina Wesley just fucking knocks it out of the park. Uh, <laughs> and I'm glad that Brian Fuller again is kind of is more open to uh, uh, casting like people of color, more women in prominent roles. There's not a lot of people would do that. That is great. Hey, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Vampires or werewolves? Uh, werewolves just because there aren't enough movies and stories with them Good in answer. popular culture. Good answer. Yeah. You, you win tonight. Thank you. What do I win? Fucking nothing, you fool. Coming off of every season finale of Hannibal, Brian Fuller and crew knew that they were basically on the bubble for the entire show's runtime. So every season could work as a cliffhanger ending or as a culmination of the show up to that point. And season three is no different with the the weird digression of all the character relationships. Like, once again, they somehow managed to make everyone evolve alongside one another while also splitting them apart and, like really interesting physical and metaphysical ways. Um, and then we get this fucking incredible shot of Will Graham and Hannibal Lecter covered in blood together after killing the red dragon. And they're just, they, they finally acknowledge each other as two pieces of one larger whole. And yet Will Graham can't really truly reciprocate because he's mostly sane and Hannibal is, one of society's greatest monsters. And so they take that great plunge off the cliff set to Zuzi Zoo's uh, Love Crime. It's a, it's a bizarre song, so it's perfect for this series. And we get that last shot of Bedelia at a dinner table with two other places and without one leg. Just waiting. And we might find out what happens next someday. We might not. I sincerely hope we do. But if that's truly the end of uh, Brian Fuller's Hannibal adaptation. What a fucking way to go out. <laughs> yeah, hell of a note to end on. 
It's one of the best shows in recent TV history. It honestly might be my, like, contender for the best show. Like, at least contemporary well, shows. Someone here hasn't seen Columbo. That's, that's true. I have not seen all of Columbo. So, I'll, I'll work on it. Like Creep Show. Yeah, so you're never going to watch it. Hannibal. I forgive you. And that was Hannibal. So how you doing? Not good, man. Why is that? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I mentioned earlier, I mean, you know, I'm just gen generally not feeling well. And it took us so long to get this whole series out um, because just for various reasons, some of which are entirely your fault. Uh, and, you know, I really I, and I wanted to make this series really good. And I feel like I, I was very short of the expectations and goals I set for myself. Um, I wish I could have been more here for this episode and for the first season episode. I don't think I did a great job there um, for various reasons. Uh, and again, I've, I've been thinking about some of the stuff I've said on the show over the past few years. And I'm not, I don't enjoy it. Um, I feel like I've made very bad points. Um, and I'm embarrassed by some of the things I've said and some of the attitudes I've taken about cinema and art. So I'm going to have to take care of that right now. You hear that? Yeah, I do hear that. What is yeah. that? What's happening? It's gasoline. <laughs> I'm pouring gasoline all over myself. <laughs> it's time don't, to light this don't, don't do that. It's time to end this, Diego. Don't, no. The charade of a podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry we never made it to the Predator retrospective. That's okay. I'll get it all must end. Light it up. Goodbye, friend. <laughs> ah, 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 Cordell.